You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. This week, the 2018 edition of the U.S. Open is in full swing, and we're going to be taking full advantage of the occasion by doing a tennis-centric show. I don't know if this is a real word, but I, I like it. Tennis-centric. Like it. Right? It's good. Flows. In the first half of our show, we're going to speak with B&H Photography Podcast veteran Chris Nicholson. In the past, we've spoken to Chris about night photography, as he is an instructor and the director of content at National Parks at Night. But like many of us, Chris wears several hats, and he's also a longtime tennis photographer who will be working the U.S. Open. We're going to speak with Chris about the challenges, the techniques he uses, and maybe even a few tips for beginners. I know we're going to get a few. In the second half of today's show, we're going to hop into a waiting police escort for an unimpeded trek to the U.S. Open at Flushing Meadows Park. When we get there, we're going to be talking with Jen Potheiser and Reed Kelly of Drawbridge Digital. This is a company that oversees 20 photographers and editors, and they're responsible for the photography and digital asset management for the USTA. Stay tuned. But first... Welcome back, Chris. Nice Thanks. to have you back here. Thanks for having me. So you're back here. You're, so amongst other things, you shoot stars, <laughs> and yeah. heavenly stars and tennis stars. Right. You are going to be shooting there as yes. well as teaching a workshop. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I'll be sh shooting the full two weeks, and I teach a workshop during the Challenger Tournament, which happens right before that. You know, well, so what is the Challenger Tournament? Uh, the Challenger Tournament is... Um, it's a smaller tournament, but it's a big tournament. It's still one of the biggest in the world uh, where lower-ranked players can play for a spot in right. the main tournament. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's still, you know, they're among the best 200 players in the world. Uh, pros, really, really great matches. At, and it's also, it's one of the best-kept secrets in New York sports because it's free to attend. Mm -hmm. it's, not, yeah. not a, it's not a big secret anymore. No. It's, uh, <laughs> okay. how, many, man, how many downloads if, did we have last month? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great event. I mean, you walk in for free and you, you could just watch, you know, world-class tennis all day. That's um, great. And, and, and so that's what I'll be teaching the workshop during. That's pretty unique, isn't it? Because I, I get the impression, uh, I mean, I don't do sports events anymore. I haven't done it for a long time, but it seems to me that access is just getting tighter and tighter. Yeah. I mean, it would be like being able to walk into a triple-A baseball game and shoot for free, except the players are better than, than that. Mm -hmm. And these are major league tennis players that just didn't qualify for the main tournament. What are some of the things you can be uh, uh, going over in your workshop? Because that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, people who come are either tennis fans, uh, you know, who like to shoot or photographers who just want to take a crack at shooting a professional sport. And tennis isn't easy to shoot. So I just, I try to teach enough so that people can go away with better photos at the end of the day than they started with. And a big part of that is just knowing where to shoot at which times a day. Mm -hmm. One of the big challenges in tennis photography is is the light and busy backgrounds. And so just knowing that, you know, the, the, the light at court 10 is going to be better at six o'clock than it is at one o'clock. Uh, you know, knowing what's the best court to shoot at at this time of day in terms of the shadows, getting backgrounds in shadow, and mm. um, when the nice golden light, what court that hits uh, later in the day, and and things like that. So, you know, I, I teach skills and I, I teach strategy for getting the photos, but really the big the biggest part I think is getting people at the right court at the right time of day to do the best work they can. I I, am, I, I was thinking a lot about this you know, prepping for the show because I. I my my real sporting experience was was motorboating and 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 powerboat racing and things of that sort, and I had a lot more freedom than you do, I guess, was shooting that because I was able to change direction. I was able to follow them around in a chase boat or in a helicopter, just literally go all the way around. I had a lot of options for capturing that boat uh, or boats to make them look good. You don't have those kind of options when you're shooting tennis matches. So you're right. You, you can't. You, you can't move around whenever you want. You, know, you can't move around in the middle of a point, obviously. I mean, tennis is, um, you know, it's kind of like golf in, in terms of the focus of the players. And there's no moving, there's no talking when they're playing. Uh, so you have to wait for a changeover to to move if you want to change positions. Um, but you can change positions. I mean, you've got uh, an entire side of the court to work with. And if you just think in terms of using a, you you, you 
just like shooting anything else. You, you change your angle by 10 degrees and put a different lens on, and now you can make completely different kinds of photos. So uh, you can get into ruts of shooting the same type of photo over and over again, and there's only so many forehands and mm-hmm. backhands you can shoot them. I, I'll tell you, 99 out of 100 photos that any tennis photographer shoots look exactly the same as the ones they did yesterday. You're looking for that that 100th shot, right? Um, and a lot of that is just having the experience of uh, knowing when to change position and when to change the lens and to just try to find something interesting to shoot. How many physical positions do you have at, at say, the U.S. Open? How many places do you have to choose from as a photographer? Well, it depends on where you are. Um, in the main stadium, you can only shoot from one side of the court. There's a there's a photography pit with, with two rows, and it runs the entire length of the court from corner to corner. So you've got a lot of space in there and until you get to the final. It can get a little crowded and a little uh, Lord of the Flies in there sometimes at the end. What's Just to jump into there, what's yeah. the pecking order? I mean, do they does it work out like the size of the media organization? Of course, the people that are affiliated with the Open. and the Yeah, well, you know, there's some obvious ones like, of course, Sports Illustrated is going to mm-hmm. get whatever spot they want and Getty Images will get the spots that they want, the New York Times. The USTA Communications Department is is very smart about, you know, wh- where they're going to get the most press and strategize that accordingly. That said, uh, there, there really isn't any photographer who should complain because there's so many great spots to shoot and um, the USTA, in my experience, has always gone out of their way to make sure that any media working the tournament gets what they need to produce the stories photographically or otherwise, that that they need to get. An interesting thing is when you get to the semifinals and the final, uh, there is a lot of media. I don't remember what the number is, but there's far more photographers that cover this event than can fit in the photo pit on Arthur Ashe Stadium during a big match. So one of the things they do, I always found this interesting, is depending on who's in the final and what country they're from. So if you get, for instance, a Japanese player in the final, then more of those reserved seats are going to go to Japanese photographers right. because obviously there's a high interest in that country for, for the home team. For who wins. Yeah. Right. So that's an interesting thing that changes year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you always have those staples like the Sports Illustrated photographers, et cetera. Um, but the, the mix in there will change depending on who's playing. That and match. have you ever been frozen out? Like you ever been out of the out of that main pit area, and you have to go just wander and find a spot? Or? I, I haven't. Uh, oh, geez, knock on wood. Knock on um, wood. Okay. But I'm fortunate <laughs> in that um, my I, I've had two major clients credentialing me uh, at first Tennis Magazine for the first half of my career, um, and and now my major client is the U.S. Tennis Association. Okay. So. Most of the photo work I do for them is what runs in the, the daily program. Yeah, you got an uncle in the biz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about like the early rounds and, and, and what we were talking about earlier, how you can have access at the side courts and, and you can probably at that point really move around in a way that you couldn't otherwise, right? Yeah, it's not just that main stadium. There's 17 courts at the Open. And I always say the, the best ticket in tennis, people ask me, you know, oh, when should I go to the Open? It's those first four days because you've got 17 courts of matches happening from 11 in the morning until it could go until 2 in the morning. It's right. just constant. There's just always world-class action happening everywhere on the grounds. Um, and that's exciting as for a fan, and it's exciting for a photographer, too. If you just want to bring your camera and shoot mm-hmm. all day, that's the time to do it. Absolutely. That sounds pretty cool. It's like that at not just the U.S. Open, but... All opens. I mean, maybe the field isn't as big as it is in the U.S. Open, but there's always going to be early round action that's more accessible, correct? Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah. the four Grand Slam events are all the same size, okay. uh, 128 players per draw. Right. Uh, so, there's a, yes, there's a lot of action going on in those, in those first few days. Mm-hmm. Do you ever depend on or, or make use of remote cameras just so you can get more than one frame at a time? I, I don't. I know photographers who do. Mm-hmm. Um, Getty, in particular, sets up a whole slew of, of uh, remotes, um, but you need a proven need for those photos. What's the issue with sound? I mean, do you have tennis players talking to photographers at certain points and saying, I mean, maybe less so now, cameras are more quiet, but uh, have you ever come across that idea? I did once, but n- not at the U.S. Open. Mm. Uh, technically speaking, there, there is a code of conduct for the photographers, and uh, one of the things is you, you don't make noise. I mean, we're very privileged to be able to sit right at the side of the court. Right. Um, you know, we're in prime position to disturb players. Mm. Um, and so part of that code of conduct is you don't shoot during the serve, per right. se, to make that click. Uh, I did that once by mm. accident <laughs> at a smaller tournament, and I will... Always remember the look. Um, Pete Sampras was in the middle of a serve. Oh, wow. And you know, sometimes you just, 
it, you know, you're focusing, right? And you've got the shutter button halfway down and sometimes you just push a little up, too yeah, hard and they shoot it by accident. Course, yeah. And that's what happened. He had tossed the ball and the camera went and he caught the ball and just looked right at me. I mean, he knew exactly where that click came from and he just glared at me and I, you know, yeah. you know Sorry. what am I? I can't run out and apologize. Right? Like, but it was it was completely you an just accident. Just point to the guy next to you. Don't <laughs> yeah, exactly. going like this. Um, <laughs> but at the U.S. Open, it's not a big deal because uh, first, it's, it's a bigger space. Right. There's more noise. You know, it's um, we got a New York crowd. You know, right. we don't care if you want it to be quiet, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a suggestion. Um, yeah, it's, it's a suggestion. suggestion. Yeah. Um, Which is what makes the the, the U.S. Open so special. Too, yeah, right? you, but it's you know, like, players yeah. will talk about that about the U.S. Open having special challenges uh -huh. to play because the, the New York crowd is different. It's a very excitable sports mm -hmm. crowd. I right. mean, you've got very knowledgeable fans who get into it. Well, I mean, one of the things everybody <laughs> loves about the New York fan is you don't have to know the, the, the players of the team. You, you just want to see a good game, right? Yeah. Um, you know what the players will talk about that, that that's different at the U.S. Open. So I think part of their mentality is shutting out distractions. Mm. And I've never at the U.S. Open seen a photographer, uh, a player complain about a photographer uh, in terms of noise. Does anybody make use of silent shutter? Because a lot of cameras offer that right now, and that eliminates that whole issue. Now you can shoot perfectly silently anytime you want. You mean like in a quiet mode? Yeah, um, yeah, where yeah. It's, it's a little quieter. Well, no, well, well there were like Sony A7, a mirrorless camera. Oh, uh, mirrorless. I haven't, I'm sure somebody has shot mirrorless, but I don't, uh, okay. I, I'd say 99% of the photographers are shooting DSLRs. Still? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, because you get okay. a faster frame rate. Uh, but the big thing is the mirrorless cameras use a different autofocus. So the phase detection autofocus is better for tracking that fast motion as of now. So the mirrorless use is contrast-based, right? Oh, I, I know that, yeah, mirrorless yeah. used to be terrible, but it's caught up a lot, but it, it's still not not at ringside or Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, even even with the high-end DSLRs, there's ones that, that tennis photographers in particular won't use um, because – you just your the ratio of frames and focus to not in focus isn't, oh, yeah. isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I I shoot primarily with the D five and very rarely have a, a photo that's out of focus unless it was my fault. Mm -hmm. um, and do you but, use continuous burst mode a lot when you're shooting? Or? I I always have it on. Right. I don't always use it. Right. Um, I want it on for the for the option to be able to to shoot a sequence, mm -hmm. but. Um, I'm usually shooting single frames. Right. And and I've tried yeah. both strategies because, uh, and there's nothing wrong with either strategy. You know, some some photographers, some sports photographers will just lay on the shutter. You know, something happens, and they'll lay on the shutter mm -hmm. and get 20 photos to pick from. Right. Um, and that's fine. You're, you're guaranteeing yourself something, right? I tried that at one point in my career. Um, in fact, I spent an entire U.S. Open with that strategy just to see what happens. It was this good for me. And what I found is for me, I ended up at the end of the tournament with the same exact number of good photos, mm -hmm. but a lot more to edit. Right. A lot of editing. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. So I figured if I'm going to get the same yield anyway, let me just use the method I always have of picking my moments to shoot, which also for me has more creative satisfaction. Sure. Because instead of lucking into the good shot, I decided when to shoot it, and I created it. Right, right. So That's why I go fishing with a shotgun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you, you really, I mean, I guess it depends on the tournament and the time and the place and the noise, but you are reluctant to shoot during a serve? Is that... Uh, not, at the, not at the U.S. Open. Not it's funny because I still feel a little weird about it yeah. because I... <laughs> Traumatized. I, I, I used to shoot more... <laughs> I don't really shoot small tournaments anymore, but I, I used to early in my career. I worked at Tennis Magazine for 10 years and I shot more smaller tournaments there. So it's always something that's still in the back of my head. But I know at the U.S. Open, it's okay. Yeah. Um, the only time that you might not want to do it is if you are shooting bursts and you had asked about the quiet mode. Oh, yeah. uh, if you're shooting for a magazine like like tennis and you're shooting an instruction article, you might need a sequence. Mm. Yeah, you know? that's right. And uh, shooting like that in a serve, I could, see, I could see, again, I haven't seen a player complain about it, but I absolutely would understand if a that being more distracting than just a few random clicks. Um, there's a Japanese photographer. I, I've seen him shooting at the U.S. Open for 20 years, and I've never actually met the guy. But he uses a blimp. 
mm-hmm. on his camera because uh, I, he shoots for one of the Japanese tennis magazines. And it, it, as far as I can tell, all he does for the tournament is shoot sequences. Mm-hmm. And he'll move around to different spots in the stadium and the pit with his camera in this in this big leather blimp. Um, mm-hmm. Shooting bursts, and you could be sitting next it's, to him. It's a and leather blimp, or is it one of those well, Jacobsons? It's, it's, it's like leather covered. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know the brand. Yeah, yeah. Something I was curious about: focal lengths. I imagine you don't really need that wide a range if you're shooting in a stadium. Am I really wrong about that? Well, I mean the the range you use depends on how creative you want to be. Right. Uh, I find a, a 400 millimeter to eight is dead on for tennis at the U.S. Open. At a smaller tournament, you might be a little closer and a 400 might be too much. Um, now, how, how are you filling your frame with a four? That's actually longer than I thought you'd really need. So it's 400 millimeter from where you usually shoot from. How much of your subject are you seeing? I mean, is it a head and shoulder? Is it waist up? What do you see at 400 millimeter? Well, it depends on where you're shooting. Yeah. So if, if I'm shooting uh, from the other end of the court, then that could be almost full body in the frame. Uh, with some space. As one thing I'm thinking about with tennis is I've got if I have the full body in the frame, you also have to think about what happens on the backswing or if the racket goes high over their head or if they're hitting it. You need to leave extra space for sure. other things to happen, yeah. right? But if the player is on the same side of the court as me, then you know that would be about a half body shot, which gets very difficult because tennis is a fast sport. I mean, you're shooting your shutter speeds to freeze them. I mean, you're talking a minimum of twelve hundredth of a second to freeze the action. Um, and really 1,600, 2,000 if you really want crisp action, which you don't always. Sometimes you like a little blur. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the point is it's a fast sport. So if you're framed, you're framing somebody half body and trying to get that ball in that tiny, tiny fraction of a second that it's going to be in the frame, it's difficult. But those photos are very dynamic. And it's funny you mentioned that it's a longer focal length than you would expect because I didn't expect that focal length early in my career. Again, I started at Tennis Magazine. I was very fortunate. My first job there was working in the library, and a big part of my job was organizing the photos mm. in the libraries. So I would get to study them uh-huh. just day in and day out, and I knew the photographers I liked. And when I finally, you know, when I got to shoot and became friends with some of them, one of the things I would do is just sit next to them in the pit and try to figure out why are they doing what they're doing. I remember watching Karen Levy, who uh, uh, she's not really shooting tennis anymore, but she was one of the best, absolutely one of the best. And I would see her shooting courtside, shooting with a three or 400 millimeter lens, like right at a player who was, you know, 30 feet away. And I was like, what the heck is she doing? I can't imagine. So I would go out there and try the same thing and and, and just see what I could make of it. So, oh, oh that, that's that's what she's looking for. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so, yes, and a three or, three or 400 millimeter most of the time. But like I said, you can be more creative than that. There's another longtime tennis photographer, uh, Melda Giacomo, who uh, lives in the New York area. Sure. And I hardly ever see a telephoto on his camera. He's all wide angle. Um, he shoots in a very classic, almost photojournalistic, artistic style. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful black and white work. And his photos look completely different than anybody else because, you know, he might put a 15 millimeter on and shoot a whole match like that. And, you know, how, do you, how are you shooting somebody who's that right. far away from you with a wide angle lens? And he's a master at it. Mm-hmm. When you see a Mel tennis photo, you know it's a Mel tennis photo. Yeah. Hmm. Let me ask a little bit about shadow and light because obviously in some cases in any outdoor you know, court, you're going to have often that really sharp distinction between, you know, half of the court that's in shadow and half the court's in light. How do you work that? How do you find the angles that are better for you? And I approach tennis photography in the same way that I approach landscape photography, which was a conscious decision that I made maybe about five or six years into shooting sports, um, where I just started kind of th- thinking of it in the same terms. You know, I, I said, you know, everybody kind of shoots sports the same way. What can I bring different to it? And I said, well, there's this other whole other genre that I love to shoot. Mm-hmm. What can I bring from that? And uh, and it plays into exactly what you're asking about in terms of looking at the light and paying attention to the backgrounds and trying to create pretty photos that happen to be a sports photo, mm-hmm. right? Uh, part of that challenge is most of the tennis matches are happening during light that we would normally not shoot in, Right. Uh, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon on a, a, a sunny day in a place with a busy environment with a lot of people wearing white and hats <laughs> that are casting shadows. Um, it's called dynamic range hell. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, yeah, yeah, that's a good, I mean, a white towels on the ground in the corner of the court. I mean, there's just so many background distractions to worry about. 
So one of the things I'll look for at that time of day is to shoot backlit, mm. right? Because that helps. Uh, you got to open up, which reduce the contrast mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, another thing is if I see the uh, a back court, that back wall of the court in shadow, that's my background. Mm-hmm. Uh, use a nice long lens to isolate the player against that shadowed background uh, and get them side lit. And now even at two in the afternoon, I can create a photo that um, the final version looks like very dynamic lighting and they really they really pop, that subject pops. Something I'm curious about, I, I'm, I'm not a tennis buff. I know, I mean, I've seen it. I know it. I recognize a tennis game when I see one. Um, <laughs> tennis match, a, a tennis stadiums, at least the professional stadiums, are they designed and laid out in a way that the sun would be sidelight on the main courts? Or are you in situations where in the morning, some person is totally backlit in the afternoon, the other person is totally backlit? Well, depending on what time of day you're shooting, you might have a shadow moving across the court and all that, which can be a challenge, but can also be an artistic opportunity. Uh, and that's how I would say, look at it. That's one of the things I would talk about on the workshop. It's let's use that shadow. Right. You know, uh, pay attention to where the player is going to be. Um, and in fact, a lot of times you get a lot of shadows on the court. If you get mixed shadows on the court, that means you also have mixed light on the court, right. which can be very dynamic. And you might shoot, you might spend 10 minutes not shooting, waiting for the player to run into the right spot. But that 10 minutes is well spent when that player does run into the right spot, into that tiny bit of light mm. in a court full of shadow. Yeah. And what a great artistic image you can well, make. Well, some of there. the greatest shots that were when you see that, that long shadow, like, you know, the arms up ready for, oh, yeah. ready oh, for yeah. a stroke yeah, yeah. And, and that long shadow shadows following them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. What about night uh, games and the lighting, stadium lighting? Any uh, challenges? Anything? Is that easier? It's easier now. Yeah. Um, it used to be before digital, nobody would shoot the night matches unless mm-hmm. it was a huge match. You know, you might have an Agassiz-Sampras match and you say, well, of course we're going to shoot that. We don't care what the light is, you know. Um, but even then, I mean, you, again, you've got to shoot fast shutter speeds. You'd have to get, I mean, the, the standard was you would shoot Fuji Press 800 and push it two stops, and it looked not mm-hmm. good, you it know. like but 800 speed film pushed two stops back did, in the yeah. day, yeah. And, you know, but that's the best you could do. Um, now, the, I mean, the cameras are, are so good, and the lights are better. So that combination, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of pushing the limit of the camera, but I can go out there and shoot at ISO 1600, um, you know, with a good camera like the D5 and, and get crisp images that look good on a glossy color page in the program uh, and still get a decent shutter speed. Uh, the lights are better. What, what, so, what kind of lights are they? Because are you dealing with color cast? Or are, oh, are they switching to LEDs at all? Or anything that's friendlier to imaging? Uh, I haven't heard anything about the, the lighting changing. I will say that the, the tricky thing with the light at Arthur Ashe Stadium is that for some reason you can't see it to the naked eye but the corners are darker. So as a photographer, you see it, oh, you know, right. because all of a sudden this photo looks a half a stop dark. Um, but yeah, as a fan, I would be surprised if any fan noticed it. Hmm. A question about um, the, uh, I guess the editorial side of it, when, when you'd want to go and get a, a photo published, uh, do they look for, let's say, Serena makes a great, you know, a winning shot. And, but you have a great shot of her from earlier in the match. Do they care that, that, that you didn't get the winning shot? Because I know in other sports, you may have a great shot of somebody doing something from earlier in the game, but if it's not the, you know, the newsworthy moment of it, that photo's not going to get published. Does that play at all in tennis the same way? It depends on the client. It, yeah. de- it depends on the media outlet and what they're, they're looking for. Um, mm. You know, like Sports Illustrated might be very interested mm-hmm. in that winning shot. Yeah. Um, the, the people I shoot for, so I said I shoot a lot for the USTA and for the US Open program. And uh, there's a, a book company I do a lot of work for and uh, World Tennis Magazine, some websites. They're more interested in having a pretty photo. Yeah. They want a photo where the player looks good, especially the US Open, because this is, you know, the premier event and, you know, this is the, the showcase of everything they do. So they yeah. want the player to look good. And one of the interesting parts of that is they have to look fundamentally sound. <laughs> so, you know, you shoot a player like Venus Williams, who's incredibly athletic and makes some shots that you can't believe, you know, that she makes. But in those moments that to you as a fan are very interesting to watch unfold, they're not fundamentally sound. Right. So those photos <laughs> don't always sell to the clients that I work with. Right. What if you have, let's say, speaking of clients, you have... Um, a Casio watch ad in the background or whatever other ads, mm-hmm. do you have to consider 
either getting them out of the, sh- the frame or including them in the frame, or is that not really an issue? Well, the sponsors would like those ads to be in the frame. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, that's why they pay to put them there. Right. As a photographer who's trying to do a good photo, and you know, we know that doing a good photo, a lot is paying attention to your backgrounds, mm-hmm. right? You generally try to keep those out, okay. uh, which is challenging. Uh, there are times where I would throw away or not even shoot what would be a fantastic action photo because there's just too much logo stuff going on in the background. Do you, do you have to keep vertical and horizontal uh, in mind because you're shooting obviously for a number of end uses? Right. All consciously flip. Um, again, I'm trying to make a, a nice photo. Uh, so I, I had an interesting change in my career about 10 years ago. I thought I was going to stop shooting tennis. Um, and business just every year it had gotten a little less and a little less and I... I I got to a point where I said, I don't think I'm going to really be able to make something useful out of this anymore. And that was going to be my last year shooting tennis. And my last tournament was going to be the US Open that year. And I got to the tournament and I decided I'm not trying, I'm not going to spend my last US Open trying to shoot what I think my clients want. I'm just going to go chase pretty light. I don't care who the player is. I don't care if it's you know, somebody that nobody's ever heard of, if, if that, if that player's in prettier light than Serena is, I'm going to shoot the player in the prettier light. And I spent most of those two weeks doing that and sold more photos that I had ever in my career. Mm. And that changed things for me. And I stayed shooting tennis. So to answer your question, yes, I do pay attention to vertical, horizontal. I mean, one of the things that the program wants is posters, which have to be vertical and the cover has to be vertical. So I have to get vertical photos if I want to be producing what the client wants. Uh, but I also want to shoot what I want to shoot. And I want mm-hmm. to do artistic photos that change my career. I'm not going to go away from that. It saved my career making that decision. Mm. So I'm going to still pursue pretty photos and interesting ideas and try to come up with new photos to shoot new ways to approach creating an image of tennis. And if that means That means flipping the camera horizontal, right? I mean, we always want to change our approach and break the mold of what we did yesterday to try to find something new that we can create. Uh, Quick question about, do you use a monopod? I do use a monopod. Monopod, Most photographers do. Yeah, and um, you know, it's it it's if you're not if you haven't done sports photography, it almost sounds counterintuitive. Like you know, I just told you ten minutes ago that I'm shooting at two thousandth of a second. Uh, So why do you need a monopod at two thousandth of a second? A part of it is any anything. I'm a big believer in incremental improvements to your photo. Anything you could do to make the photo just a tiny bit better, even if it's not perceptible, you do ten of those things, and now it's a perceptible difference. So even that tiny bit of sharpness, that extra sharpness I can get by using a monopod, I want that. The other part is a 400 millimeter lens is not something that you put in your pocket yeah. and carry around with you all day, right? It's 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 heavy. It's not too heavy to lift right now and use for a few minutes. But Let's try walking it. around for a few hours. Really. Nine, 90 mm-hmm. degree day at oh, yeah. the U.S. Open, walking on pavement, and you're yeah. doing shooting for 14 hours. You don't want to be hand-holding that camera for all that time. So just using the monopod is a way to uh, just give yourself a rest from the weight and save your muscles and save your sanity to pay attention to the photos. And do you normally take a break and and offload all your, your photos to your laptop, to a drive, and then get back at it? Or what's your, your only, workflow in that sense? Only if somebody needs a photo right now. Okay. Uh, usually I just want to shoot. I don't even like taking a break for for lunch. There's days where it's 4.30 and I said, geez, I have to eat something or I'm not going to get through the rest of the day. Yeah. But again, there's just stuff going on and, and I want to be, I, I love shooting. I enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not just the business end, but there's both components there, and I want to be out shooting. So I don't want to have to take a break to go and dump photos. So I, I save that usually for when I'm done shooting. Do you do much chimping in the midst of the action? do a lot of chimping. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, chimping has a bad reputation, but if you do it responsibly, you know, <laughs> it improves your photos. And I, 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 again, so we talked about how it, it, timing in tennis can be really hard Uh to, I mean, really, a tiny fraction of sure. a second is the difference between a photo that gets published and a photo that ends up in the trash. I, I mean, just a fraction of a second. So imagine you're tired or you couldn't have coffee that morning or you got into a fight with, with your spouse or you, your kid got a bad report card. Anything that's on your mind could change your timing enough 
to have bad photos. When I was shooting film, I would remember days where I felt good and I'd get the film back the next morning and find out that my timing was off all day. And I didn't know because that's how small that mm. incremental difference is. Yeah. With digital, I can do that photo and say, well, my timing's off today. I have to adjust. And now I've just saved yeah. a whole day of work. Yeah. And a reputation. And a reputation. I'm just thinking about, I mean, imagine your timing is perfect and then, you know, what the tennis player makes one of those faces, which I'm sure they make all the time with one eye is closed, their mouth oh, is yeah. like this, their face is like that. And then the photo is, it may, may be useless to you because, I mean, it's a great shot in every aspect except for they have this horrible face. Yeah. I mean. And, you you know, you might have an idea for a photo too, right? Mm -hmm. um, like I can remember times where, I, you know, I'm always looking for a new way to shoot a tennis photo, right? And I might have an idea, but the timing's got to be so perfect and, and I want to get it. It might take me 20 tries to get it. As much as I talk about how tennis is difficult to shoot, one of the things that makes it a lot easier is that a tennis player is going to do the same thing a hundred times in right. a match. Right. So if you have an idea for a shot you want and you blow it and you can't figure it out, you have a hundred more times right. to work on <laughs> it and get it right. <laughs> um, so there's definitely times where I've had an idea and I couldn't get the timing right or couldn't get the angle right and I would chimp and that's how I knew I didn't have the shot and I knew how to adjust and I'd work on it and work on it and get it. That's good advice. Uh, what about just shooting around the courts? I mean, do you find a lot of images of towels and a, a tennis bag and all those kind of like side shots that don't have to do with the action. Do you shoot much of that or is that just a waste of time? Ambiance photos is, yes. is what, uh, yes. that's what we used to call them at Tennis Magazine and mm -hmm. it was a big deal. We were always looking for those. If a magazine is doing an article about an event, it's not all about the players, right? right. There's an experience to be had there. There's a lifestyle and they need photos to illustrate that. Uh, the, the U.S. Open program uses those, you know, because that's part of what they're selling is the experience of being there. Mm -hmm. So there's absolutely a call for those photos. Um, if there's not a match going on, but the light's pretty, absolutely, I'll walk the ground and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll look for things. It gets challenging, especially, you, you know, I've shot the U.S. This will be my 22nd or 23rd U.S. Open that I've shot. And the grounds change, but not so much that every yeah. year I'm saying, oh, look at all these new photos to do, right? right. It gets hard after a while sure. to find. And that's one thing I found when I was shooting, uh, I, and especially if I was doing the same subject matter for a long stretch of time. What are some of the things you've done to sort of freshen up your eyes? So it's actually been a couple of years where I said, I'm not shooting any ambiance this year just to get away from it and then come back, mm. you know, with mm. fresher eyes another time. Uh, there's been times I've, I've tried... Just try something that photographers don't do or that sports photographers don't do. Uh, I remember one year I had made it a point. I said, like, I'm going to find some rules to break. Over. The old bad boy comes in. You know, yep. find a rule to break. And I remember <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle of this tournament and I was up uh, in the upper reaches of the stadium shooting down on the court. And I, I, I got up there and I said, okay, I've got to go to the left so that I'm not shooting backlit. And I said, wait, 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 wait. My whole point this year was to find rules to break. I'm going to go to the other side of the court and shoot backlit. Now, when I say backlit, this is the sun bouncing off mm -hmm. the court and right into the camera lens, which is just, you know, why? Why would you put yourself through trying to figure out that exposure and deal with that? And so I'm up there with a big lens, and I, I had a, a drop-in polarizer filter. And so I said, let me put in the polarizer. And it did such a great job clearing off that court, uh, getting all that reflection off. Well, the glare. really rich color and shadows coming at me and was able to produce, you know, these really dynamic compositions that I had never done before. Mm. And it, you know, so it's things like that. Find a rule to break, oh, you know. If you find yourself saying, uh, no, I shouldn't, I'm not supposed to do that, then just go do it and find a way to make it work. Mm. Can you um, offer... Any thoughts on where someone just getting started in tennis photography or trying to up their game can find outlets for their images? If you just want to, you know, get into it, yeah. I would say the, the the smaller publications are really good. Uh, you know, the the town publications, any place, any you know, if, if there's a college that has a tennis team, you know, it doesn't have to be professional mm -hmm. tennis. There's very good tennis mm -hmm. that's easier to access. Uh, the smaller tournaments, um, but one of the great things about a tennis is you, you can shoot it. You know, you can, as a, a ticket holder, you can get next to the court 
and shoot. So just go practice, you know, mm-hmm. practice and, and get your photos out there like you would with any Would other there be kind restrictions for somebody coming in with with a professional camera and a long lens if you're not accredited? There could be depending on the tournament. Uh, the yeah. U.S. Open doesn't, they don't uh, want people bringing in a monopod. Yeah. Um, but okay. there aren't particular restrictions against still photography. Uh, sometimes you might have a security guard who doesn't want you to bring something in because mm-hmm. of some reason there might be something going on. I remember a few years back when Michelle Obama visited, you know, and, you know, they have the latitude to change res- security restrictions to, depending on something you might not know about. Right. But generally speaking, the, uh, the, there are, there really aren't a lot of restrictions for what you could bring to the U S open. Cool. In terms of camera gear. Just <laughs> <laughs> throw that part in there. No backpack, though. That's the thing they say, no uh, backpack. Yeah. So if you want to bring your camera, bring it in a shoulder bag. Really quick to, to mention, because I went out to the U.S. Open a few years ago with a friend from Argentina. And uh, if you're looking for outlets and you're trying to find kind of an mm, avenue yeah. to get in, okay, follow the Argentine tennis players that day and then try to you know shuffle your work toward their local newspapers. That's smart. And I think it might be easier with the lesser known players. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to the U.S. Open and get a photo of, of you know Roger right. Federer, you're right. competing against five billion other Roger Federer photos. But if you're there and there's some college kid who happened to win a first round match and it's a huge surprise, and you got some photos of him, there might not have been another photographer there. Right. So even you know you might have the only photo that that town paper wants or mm-hmm. that that college alumni magazine wants. You might be the only one who has it. All right, Chris, it's been terrific talking with you today. Um, also, you, you also do uh, national parks at night. Right. And you do tennis photography. Any consideration of possibly doing a workshop sometime, national tennis stars at night? Like time exposures <laughs> of you know famous people in the middle of a court? Just think about it. Just yeah. Anyway, uh, all joking aside, if our listeners would like to see more of your work and find out what you're up to and workshops and all of that sort of thing, where should they go? Uh, my website, photographingtennis.com. Uh, so that's sort of the central basis uh, for my book. I have a book, first book I ever wrote mm-hmm. is uh, Photographing Tennis. And uh, on there is linked to all my social media, uh, including Instagram, where you know I'll be posting to Instagram several times a day during the U.S. Open, uh, some action photos, but also some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, of, you know, so you can kind of see what it's like to be in the photo pit. At um, shooting tennis at on sh- Instagram. Shooting tennis on, on Instagram. And photographing tennis on the www. My marketing friends are going to smack me for that, aren't yeah, they? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find you, though. A, Chris yeah. Nicholson. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. Okay. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. Okay, we are back, but we're not only back, we are at the U.S. Tennis Association Billie Jean King National Tennis Center in Flushing Meadow, Queens. It's opening week at the U.S. Open Grand Slam Tournament, and we are speaking with Jennifer Potheiser and Reed Kelly of Drawbridge Digital. It's nice meeting you guys. Thanks for having us. Um, now, having you, us. now, Jennifer, you're a photographer, right? I am. Now, Reed, you're not a photographer. You are? I'm not. Uh, I used to be in the military and I'm one of the founding partners at Drawbridge Digital and do a lot of work on the software engineering and operations side. Okay. You guys are in charge of X amount of photographers and editors. We are in charge of all of the photography for usopen.org. So okay. that uh, that's about... 20 photographers and editors for the three weeks of the tournament. Okay, now you are you are taking pictures, you're photographing, you're processing the images, you're archiving them, you're lab- you're doing the whole thing. Where do they go from there? Who who are these? Where are these pictures going to? Yeah, so that's a great question. They go from the photographers to our editing team. The editing team adds all of the appropriate metadata. They upload them to the USTA's asset management system, which is powered by Drawbridge Digital. 
And from there, the content is available to all of the USTA staff. So for the immediate, they usually wind up on usopen.org, on the website, on the app, uh, in social media. The uh, public relations team might be pushing content out for work that they're doing. Uh, the marketing team might be pushing images out for what they need. I was curious to know, like you have a lot of needs. I mean, how many of these needs are spelled out in advance? I would say probably about 60% is assigned, 40% is sort of expectation of what our client needs. We'll meet in the morning with the editorial team and we'll find out stories that they're going to do and we'll assign photographers accordingly. We have other photographers on site who aren't necessarily so action-focused. This is the 50th anniversary of the U.S. Open, so it may be more about the space and about the events that are going on because all of the content that gets created this year is really new content in that there's new branding, there's new signage, there's new spaces. Louis Armstrong Stadium was unveiled today and the transformation of the grounds is finally complete. So. This year has a different energy about it in the needs for photos and the excitement around the event. Who are some of the other clients you guys work with? Uh, we're also very lucky to work with people like Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, that's Barclays Center, Nassau Coliseum, the Brooklyn Nets. They are another sports world client we work with uh, to have this nice company-wide standardized media operation is a money save, a time save. It's just a good thing to have for these big companies. During a big event like the U.S. Open, we are uploading constantly. Like right now, as we sit here, our team is, you know, pumping pictures into the system. Anything that is uploaded into that asset management system is then instantly accessible by anyone across USTA. So during this kind of event where, you know, all hands at USTA are here, whether it's sponsorship or PR, whatever it is, it is a nice tool for them because they see it, you know, sponsorship might see a nice picture and say, wow, we can take care of IBM or Mercedes. They can just grab from that system and do what they need to do. And can you speak about the programs and the software that you use for the sure. various functions? Yeah, so um, sort of starting all the way at the photography end, you know, our photographers are shooting, you know, the best gear from your favorite manufacturers and it then whether they are dropping cards off or using an ethernet tether, um, that content is then processed by photo editors. Uh, we have standardized on using Photo Mechanic and Adobe Photoshop. Um, we have a pretty consistent naming and metadata uh, system that the editors all follow. And it is at the end of the day, 99% an editorial operation, so we're not doing a lot of photo manipulation or digital art beyond just general cropping and toning of images. Um, but the, the sort of core programs are Photo Mechanic, Photoshop, and the, the Drawbridge Digital Asset Management System, and then the IBM publishing platform that underpins all of USTA's public-facing outlets. It's a lot of logins to remember. How many passwords you got? Components of uh, password managers like LastPass, so we try not to have to human remember any of them. <laughs> Do you work with any of the stock agencies? Um, I would imagine they must. There must be some kind of a relationship you have. Not really. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I, I, well, I'm wrong occasionally. It is actually a little bit competitive because depending on who you ask, having an in-house photo service where you own all the rights to the content is advantageous. And I will sort of leave it at that um, for the obvious reasons. So, so photographers that work for you, you own all of the copyrights. USTA does. USTA does, okay. Now what about the photographers themselves? Are they allowed to do sales of these images on their own or they're just salaried? All of our crew is on project assignments, so um, the, the USTA likes to protect their brand, so they own, they own copyright to everything. 
uh, the photographers are able to use stuff for their promotional purposes, but they okay. cannot make additional right. money. Okay. Our photographers are all seasoned veterans and appreciate that the the USTA wants to protect their image. Yeah. No, they get it. They yeah. understand. I actually wanted to get back a little bit to the, the editorial aspect of it. Sure. And I'm sure you have some photographers that you know are the action guys and girls and others that may be better at documenting the scene. And is it is it your job then to kind of assign them to each day? All right, so-and-so, I know you're great. You're gonna get some great stuff from, from the side courts. You go do that. And do you juggle it and how do you handle that? Yeah, so a lot of the work is done months in advance in terms of scheduling and in terms of thinking about the best way to manage these three weeks because you get here on the day before qualies and the U.S. Open is here and you just get swamped with it and you, you don't look up for three weeks. So we really try to have schedule figured out and, and photographers assigned and the best people in the best places in advance. We really try and keep things appropriately balanced that you're here for some day shifts, which are really challenging to shoot, not because of the tennis, but because the light. The light must be horrendous. We want to make sure that those photographers also have the luxury of shooting some of the marquee matches at night. That rotation, I think, really keeps everyone fresh and on their toes. Um, both photographically and emotionally. Well, how important is it to get everybody, all the players? The Open, the U.S. Open, is kind of known for finding an early favorite and, you know, especially an underdog and, and having them run through the tournament. So you want to be able to get their first match, their first round. You want to kind of help build these stories too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. That's, that is a common thing that we, we talk about in the mornings, like how can we stay ahead of these stories that are unfolding. Yes, you guys, do you have any relationship with gear companies? Do your photographers shoot whatever they bring? So uh, both Canon Professional Services, Nikon Professional Services, and now also Sony Professional Services, they have a big presence at the tournament and will reach out to our shooters, you know, a month or so in advance and say, hey, you know, what is your wish list on gear and what can we make sure that we have for you? And then we'll connect with uh, with those company reps and, and get gear and we'll have that available in our office for photographers to try out or just get more comfortable with or just uh, not put the onus on their own gear. So um, it's a good opportunity all around for both the manufacturers and for our shooters. Let's say there's a moment that you guys didn't catch. Um, do you then reach out to one of the other agencies slash competitors maybe? USTA does have a subscription with Getty Images and that is their fallback. You guys get portraits of the players. Jen does beautiful championship portraits of the men's, women's, and doubles champions. <laughs> Early on when when we started this, it seemed like a natural ask to see if we could do championship portraits. And the USTA, as in a lot of the things that we proposed, they were receptive and said, yeah, sure, that seems like a good idea. So four years ago or so, we started doing championship portraits on championship weekend. And that has turned out to be a really nice thing as a photographer and a really nice thing for the USTA to have that in their historical archive. So now player agents kind of expect that that is just another stop along the media tour. Um, so that has been really great. And I think there have been a lot of things that we've wanted to try and again, are really fortunate enough to be able to do. I think last year might've been the first year that we did it, but we asked two of our photographers to come and take pictures for the day with their own creative direction. They weren't assigned to a specific match. It was just go play. And the two photographers that we asked to do it said that in their 20 plus years of shooting, they had never been on an assignment where they were able to just go take pictures. And they said that it was so much fun and so exciting. And we got amazing, amazing pictures as a result of it. 
drones. How about drones? Have they come into the conversation yet? We have talked about it in the past. There are some technical considerations with LaGuardia Airport right nearby oh, yeah. and not being able to, to fly the drones. Also, there's some great vantage points here so that even though you might not be able to get drone photography, uh, you might be able to go up to the highest level in Arthur Ashe Stadium and shoot down on a court. You have 20 photographers shooting here for three weeks. How many pictures are you actually t taking, harvesting? Now, and also, out of that, how many actually make it out there? Our editor team is six or seven people. Um, they work as hard, if not harder, than the hardworking photographers. But in terms of volume, I don't know the exact number, but it is many terabytes of total content generated. I think last year was almost four terabytes. What do you guys use for hard drives? So for the hard drive brand, I am partial to uh, HGST, which is now owned by Western Digital. Um, and we really like these helium filled hard drives, but this US Open actually, USTA's asset management system, the archive and the daily working uh, server that people are working off of is all SSD based. And do the photographers just drop the cards and that's it? Or are they... Yeah, so the photographers, if they're shooting on some of the outer courts, they will just drop cards off. Or if we have an editor that maybe is in between doing things, they could run out and run cards for them. Um, but on the newer courts and definitely the big courts, Louis Armstrong and Arthur Ashe, uh, there is ethernet connectivity. So the photographers will just plug in and tether, you know, live back to the editors. And that's just fantastic. The photographers weren't as good as they are. And we had a lot of junk to parse through. It would, we maybe wouldn't do that, but the photographers are very good and the editors are all very experienced with those kind of truly live workflows to be able to manage that inflow of content. How many hours a day are you here in these three weeks? 20. Right. You guys turn off the lights and lock the door. Okay. We do. It as often happens in photography, uh, first to come, last to go, but really so, so blessed to be able to call this home for three weeks and really fortunate to be able to work with such a great team. Okay, that's great. Jennifer Potheiser and Reed Kelly of Drawbridge Digital. Now, is there a website if folks want to see what you guys are up to and take a look at your work? Definitely, yeah. You can, uh, you know, get in touch with us at www.drawbridgedigital.com or follow us on Instagram at drawbridgedig, just drawbridge, D-I-G, and you can see some of Jen's work. Mm -hmm. uh, I am at uh, potheiser.com. And we'll have uh, lots of amazing content for the next three weeks at usopen.org. And their social channels at USTA, at US Open, you'll see our work, you know, that's where you'll see a lot of the work that is generated here. So definitely like, follow, subscribe to all of uh, US Open and USTA stuff. Cool, okay. For now, on behalf of John, Jason, and myself, thank you for joining us at the US Open at Flushing Meadow, Queens.